This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Mother Miriam, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, talks about the Mass, the Passover fulfilled. How did this Jewish girl become an evangelizing Catholic nun? Well, let's find out. Mother Miriam is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Kelly Roper. Now, welcome, Mother Miriam, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be with you. It's an honor, and I'm so uh, grateful for all that you're doing. Oh, it is absolutely our honor to have you on here. So um, we know that all good things begin with with prayer. Mother, would you be willing to to lead us in a prayer for this next segment? Well, I would. And the the um, best way to pray to our Lord is to go through His Mother. Mm. So we ask that His will. Uh, through her heart be done during this hour and we pray remember O most gracious virgin mary that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection implored thy help or sought thy intercession was left unaided inspired by this confidence we fly unto thee O virgin of virgins our mother to thee do we come before thee we stand sinful and sorrowful O mother of the word incarnate Despise not our petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer us. Amen. Yeah. St. Catherine of Siena, pray, pray for, for us. St. Yes. Joseph, pray, pray for, for us. us. Beautiful. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, so by way of introduction, Mother Miriam of the Lamb of God, as she is now called, is known to many in the Catholic world. Born and raised in a Jewish home in Brooklyn, New York, after a series of events in the the summer of 1990, Mother Miriam set on a course to find out if the Catholic Church was, in fact, the church Christ established 2,000 years ago. Mother Miriam entered the church at Easter 1995. I guess the answer was yes, Mother. Um, yeah, absolutely, yes. <laughs> and on the feast of the, the Queenship of Mary, which was August 22nd of 2008, the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, took root in St. Louis, Missouri. They are now established in Beloit, Kansas, in the Diocese of Salina. I did not know that. Wow, that's, oh, that's awesome. Okay. I, I come in from Kansas City, so um, I'm just here, okay. here hosting. I did not realize that you all were in. Yes, we're very close. Uh-huh. Um, with Mother Miriam, um, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. She's going to talk about the Mass, the Passover fulfilled. So from your Jewish root, we we learned that you were born and raised in a Jewish home in Brooklyn, New York, and then later became Catholic. So from your Jewish roots and then studying your way to Catholicism, you probably have a lot to say about the the Mass, the Passover fulfilled. So I'm just going to let you go right into it, Mother. Okay, dear one, and and I did go through 18 years of evangelical Protestantism, trying to save Catholics before I became one. (laughs) It was just an unbelievable thing. And I sat down to the Passover. That's why I know the Mass is the Passover fulfilled in the true Passover Lamb. And I tell everyone that the most Jewish a Jew could be is to be Catholic. Um, Either he's the Jewish Messiah or he's not. And if he's the Jewish Messiah, he's the fulfillment of everything promised Mm. in the Old Testament. Um, And we sat down every year 
at our Passover table with our extended family. We always kept the door open. We knew Elijah and the Messiah would come. We had a chair for Elijah, and we celebrated for what took a few hours um, our deliverance from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And the wonderful thing, now that I look back on it, is that it, it simply wasn't an historical lesson. I had a sense, uh, I can't speak for, I have an older brother and a younger sister and tremendous extended family. I, I can't speak for any of them because I don't know. I've never really asked them this, but I always had a sense that what happened 35 years prior um, 3,500 years prior, 3,500 years prior, uh, there were 1,500 years between the Passover in Egypt to the coming of Christ, and 200, 2,000 years since then, which is how I get 3,500, but it's, it's a little more than that now. But I had a sense as a little girl that the, the Passover from Egypt was somehow, just mystically, uh, brought through time, because we recounted all that God did in freeing the Jews from Egypt, um, and he delivered them, but we would say he delivered us with his outstretched arm. We were his people. He was our God. We went through 400 years of slavery, and then, you know, the... Um, Exodus uh, chapters 12 and such, the, the ten plagues, God told the Jewish people he was going to send an angel of death over Egypt one night, and all the firstborn, which would be the eldest son, would be killed. But the homes that had the blood of their lamb on their doorposts, that firstborn in those homes would be saved. They had to take their favorite lamb. It had to be a male, one year old, without blemish, without spot, to represent a perfect offering, a holy offering for a perfect and holy God. They would kill that lamb in obedience to God, and they would take the blood of the lamb, put it on the doorposts, and a cross on top, the lentil. And when the angel of death flew over the houses of Israel that night, he passed over all the houses that had the blood of the lamb on them, and the firstborn was saved because the blood of the lamb took the place of the firstborn. The lamb was killed in the stead, in the place of the firstborn. And that's how it got the name Passover, because the angel of the Lord passed over the homes of the Jewish people, and God uh, ordered the Jewish people to keep that feast throughout all their generations, to today, perpetually, never to stop. Um, so we celebrated that, and... Uh, we weren't allowed to say the name Jesus in our home. We didn't know who a Christian was. We were taught there's two people in the world. We've never taught anything negatively. Just two people in the world, Jews and non-Jews. That's all we knew. And we were fairly separate growing up. Not completely. We went to public school and all of that. Um, and I was uh, 32 years old when... My brother David, who's two years older than I, was married with a few children, we both lived upstate New York, had come across articles that believed that Jesus Christ, whose name we were not allowed to pronounce, was indeed the Jewish Messiah and came 2,000 years ago. 
I remember as a little 11-year-old, my brother David was by Mitzvah at 13, um, it was my turn to go to the door of our apartment building to see if the Messiah and Elijah had come. Mm -hmm. And my little 11-year-old legs were shaking um, because I didn't know what I'd do with them if they were out in the hallway. (laughs) But they weren't. And the hallway was empty, as it was the year before and the year before. And so I turned around at that point, again, when I was 11, um, to the extended family, many, few dozen people, and I said, they haven't come, he hasn't come. And so we finished the Seder, the Jewish Passover Seder, meeting service, and we would sing next year in Jerusalem, because when Messiah came, we knew that he would collect all the Jewish people from the four corners of the earth and put us in Jerusalem where we belong, he would establish his kingdom, he would rule and reign, and there would be peace when Messiah came. So we would say, well, next year he didn't come now, next year in Jerusalem. So how on earth, when I was 32 and my brother was 34, could there be Jews on earth who believed that Jesus Christ was the Jewish Messiah and came 2,000 years ago? My brother told me he read that, and I said, David, that's absolutely insane. Um, how could the Messiah have come, and we're not in Jerusalem, he didn't set up his kingdom, um, uh, there's no peace on the world, in the world, and he left. We missed the whole thing, the only hope the world has, and we missed it. How mm-hmm. insane is that? And I said, I don't care who these Jews are that believe, but um, everyone in the world is entitled to be troubled, and Jews who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, they're simply troubled. That's got nothing to do with me or truth. But um, a year and a half after that, I met some of these so-called Jews for Jesus. And over a year and a half, they led me, and this is too much of a story for an hour, they led me to the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world and mine. Um, and I became an evangelical Protestant, as I mentioned, trying to save Catholics, which I was taught was a man-made system leading millions astray Mm. Um, but the thing that led me just let me mention this because this is my way to the Eucharist the thing that really led me to embrace Christianity even as an evangelical because I didn't know who Catholics were at the time I didn't know who Christians were I didn't know the word evangelical I didn't know anything I just knew that I had given my life to Christ but what these beautiful Jews for Jesus did for two and a half hours one night was take me through the sacrificial system from the Garden of Eden where God had to kill animals to clothe Adam and Eve because of their sin um, all the way to Christ and they told me that when they left Egypt uh, at the Passover um, God gave them the law at Mount Sinai and in the law for the atonement of sins, there were five offerings, but the one I want to speak about is the, the main one, that they had to take a lamb. They had to come to the altar with a one-year-old male lamb, just like in Exodus 12 at the Passover. And the individual would stand before the altar, before the priest, with that little one-year-old perfect lamb. And you've got to picture this. The individual would put his, his or her a hand, well, I don't know if the women did that as well, if the men did it for the family, but he would put his hand on the head of that little lamb. And it was a picture of, um, it was symbolic 
of the sins transferring from the individual onto the lamb. And that lamb who was innocent, but who symbolically had taken upon uh, himself the sins of that person, was then slain. That person was free now. His sins were on the lamb. And without the shedding of blood, the scriptures say there's no forgiveness of sin. That lamb was then slain, and his blood was shed on the altar as an offering to God for that person's sin. I, I listened to that, and I said, what? I, I had a little cat at home. I said, why should he be put to death for my sins? Yeah. Put me to death. I didn't understand it. But um, the fact that God hates sin so much began to get through to me. Mm. And they explained to me that the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, every single year at Passover, every single Israelite family had to bring a lamb. Jerusalem was 4,000 feet up. They had to bring it to the temple, and they were slain. Thousands, millions of lambs slain every Passover, and the hills of Jerusalem were just drenched with blood. Um, And they explained to me that millions of goats and bulls and lambs that were slain over 1,500 years from Moses to Jesus, none of them could take away sin because they were dead animals. They had no power to take away sin when you killed them. They had no power to change the heart. And so the people would go home and sin over and over again and, again, bring lambs over and over again. What it was is, a, in Hebrew, a kippur. The highest holy day of the Jewish year is Yom Kippur. It means the day of covering. When they obeyed God in slaying those lambs for their sin, God covered their sin. He couldn't take it away. He covered it. He passed over it and covered it, all in light of the true sacrifice to come, who is the true Lamb of God, Christ. And so when Christ, the true Messiah, was put on the cross, when he came into the Jordan at 30 years of age, John the Baptist, baptizing all the people, looked at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And when I heard that one verse, John one twenty nine, which most Catholics know by heart, it so struck me that my whole body shook, I couldn't speak, I couldn't stand up, I couldn't believe we were in a Hawaiian restaurant. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe what I had just begun to hear. I thought if one little lamb of the Old Testament in that system could take away the sins of an individual temporarily, symbolically, for a time, what then could the Son of God, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, God himself, made man for us? What could happen then when our sins, the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future, man, woman, and child, were transferred to him, the lamb slain for us, Mm. the true lamb Mm. whose blood was perfect, and the only lamb who could take away our sins. And that verse, John 129, Mm. shattered my life, and it was as if someone pulled the curtain and exposed the stage and I knew it was true. My hang-up and worst fear as a Jew was that we would ever worship a man. Jesus is a man. And I realized that night I was right. We cannot worship a man. But if God exists, 
he can become a man. He can become anything he wants to be. And so he alone is to be worshipped. And I gave my life to him. In fact, not right, right away. It wasn't until a couple of weeks. This is good timing for Easter. It wasn't until a couple of weeks later that I was with the same Jews for Jesus group. And I heard them talking about his being alive. And I said, oh, excuse me, excuse me, what did you say? And they said, uh, well, we said he's alive. I said, but you told me he died. And they said, but he came out of the grave. And I said to them, why didn't anybody say so? I guess we assume the world knows the story. I never heard it in my life mm. at that point, 32 years old. So um, I gave my life to that incomparable lamb. Mm. And I was changed no less than St. Paul falling off the horse overnight. I was a Martian on planet Earth. I lived for him. I wanted the world to know him. I wanted a ladder high enough to get to the moon to tell the world as a savior. Unbelievable. And then um, one day uh, I was talking to my brother David, who himself had become a Christian and was baptized as I had been baptized. But as a Protestant, he became a Christian through a Baptist church. And he said to me on the phone, Roz, my given name is Rosalind Roz. He said, Roz, how, he said, I believe that Christ is God. I believe the scriptures are his inerrant, infallible word. I believe it is death and resur- resurrection. For I believe all that. But Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, John chapter 17, that we should be one as he and the Father are one. And he said, at last count, there's over 40,000 Protestant denominations. Jesus said, I will establish a church Mm. and lead it into all truth to the end of time, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And David said, if there's 40,000 denominations, then the gates of hell have prevailed against it. So David went to find out if Jesus meant what he said, that he established a, a church, that he would lead into all truth to the end of time, the gates of hell won't prevail against it, and David became Catholic. Mm. Despite all my efforts from trying to save him to become, from becoming Catholic, and I became Catholic 16 years later, because I believed finally, and this is another story, I don't know how long you wish me to talk, but I finally believed that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who no one could look on and live, that that God, in an unbelievable act of condescension, became man, and then in a further act of condescension became our food in the Eucharist. Wow. There's no human mind that could put that together. Yeah. But, and there's no one that can come to believe it intellectually. Yeah. But by the grace of God, I believe it. I live every moment of my life for it and to tell the whole world. Mm, that's so beautiful. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more from Mother Miriam on the Mass, the Passover Fulfilled. One body, stewarding God's creation. We're back on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. The Mass, the Passover Fulfilled. With Mother Miriam, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. One body, stewarding God's creation. 
Kelly Roper conducts the interview. Now we want to go back to, to Mother Miriam talking about the the Passover, the Mass, the Passover fulfilled. And so, you know, we're at the point, Mother, where, where you joined the Catholic Church. So do we want to go forward with that, or do we want to go deeper into that? I think a little deeper into it, because it, it's just remarkable yes. uh, what brought me to the Catholic Church. At the end, there were two things that really kept me from becoming Catholic. One was the sacramental nature of the Church, and the other was the nature of the Mass. Sacramentally, as a Protestant, I was heavy in the Calvinistic theology that um, all matter is corrupt. And so how could, concerning the sacraments, why would God use corrupt matter as a means of His grace? And then I started realizing that Um, the sacraments are signs to show us what God is doing. Uh, Protestantism believes they're signs, but Catholicism believes they are signs, but they're signs of what God is actually doing through them. So, for example, water is a sign of cleansing. So does water save us as we're baptized? No. God saves us as we go through the water. He does what the water symbolizes and cleanses our heart from original sin and puts his life within us. So I realize that all the sacraments give grace, and um, God can use his creation anyway and for anything he wishes. So that, I was okay. Um, But the nature of the Mass was huge to me because we knew, we as evangelical Protestants, that Christ died once for all. And But I heard the priest at Mass inviting the parishioners to join in his sacrifice through him, with him, and in him to the Father. And I thought, wait, 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 wait a minute. If I join in the sacrifice, if I add my sufferings to the sacrifice of Christ, I'm adding to his sufferings. Aren't I then saying, Lord Jesus, thanks for dying for me, but you didn't finish the job? I have to add to it? Because if we have to add to it, and the Catholic Church does not believe the sacrifice of Christ was all sufficient, forget the Catholic Church. And I said to a priest one time, the priest that was helping me into the Church, I'll give his name, it's Monsignor uh, James T. O'Connor, he's author of The Hidden Manna and other things, and he died a few years ago, a magnificent priest. And I said, do you add to the sacrifice of Christ? And he looked at me and he said, yes, we do. He said, we don't, he doesn't need it, but yes, we add to it. My immediate response was, well, then goodbye, Catholic Church, if you don't think the sacrifice of Christ was sufficient. He said, it is sufficient, but yes, we add to it. And in the time of that silence, I thought of a mother in the kitchen baking a chocolate cake. She has all the ingredients. She's sufficient to the task. She needs nothing and no one. But into the kitchen comes her little daughter, three years old. Mommy, can I help you? The definition of love is that love receives. And so the mother says, sure, honey, come in. The little one puts in flour, maybe an egg, whatever it is. And was the mother sufficient for the task? Yes. Did she need that addition? No. But was it a true addition? It was. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, if I, now that by God's grace, he's brought me to love him, if I could go back 2,000 years and be at the foot of the cross, as our Blessed Mother was, if I could crawl up on this cross with him now, that I'm not yelling, crucify him with a crowd, 
but now that by his grace I've come to love him. If I could crawl up on that cross with him and give myself through him, with him, and in him to the Father, would I not want to do that? And I knew I would. And then I realized that is the Mass. We who, in effect, yelled, crucify him, he died for all our sins. It was sin, not the Romans and the Jews, but they, they were the players. But it was sin that killed the Savior. He came to die for our sins. He was born to die for our sins, to bring us to heaven. And so I can't go back 2,000 years. But 2,000 years through the Mass is brought through time to us and down on every Catholic altar through the consecrating words of the priest. And whereas, again, once I or all of us yelled, crucify him, now that by his grace he's brought us to love him, we can crawl up on that cross on Calvary made present and give ourselves through him, with him, and in him to the Father. Mm. It utterly, utterly blew me away. Mm. And I entered the Catholic Church, and the night that I entered at Easter Vigil, I knew that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, again, we were taught we couldn't pronounce the name of God, we couldn't write it, uh, it was too holy, no one could look on God and live. But that night, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was put on my tongue in the Holy Eucharist. And I knew, I watched other people receive him, but I, they, they stayed alive, but I knew it was saving him. I could perish on the spot. I knew it. Mm. And I didn't. And I went back to my pew and saw the rest of the Mass and have no idea what happened after that. Mm. It, it's just too amazing. And every day that we receive the Eucharist, we need to know that we're receiving the God who, if he were fair, he would put us to death. But he's not fair. He still put his son to death instead of us, that we could live and receive him and be in heaven with him. We cannot forget when we receive that consecrated host, we are receiving the very God of heaven and earth on our tongue, body, blood, soul, and divinity, just as he walked on earth, 100% God, 100% man. We could never take it for granted. We need to bow. We need to receive him on our tongue. The church allows to receive in the hand, but the norm is the tongue, and God deserves nothing less than our kneeling on our knees and receiving him on our tongue. Mm-hmm. Mother, who who so beautifully talks about the Mass and and how you know we are to receive our Lord and and you talked about you know in the hand is I I don't know what word you use but acceptable but the 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 more the, perfect the way to do way it would be yeah. on the tr- yes because um, I don't think in the hand I'm just going to say this I may um, offend some people with it. I don't believe in the hand is acceptable at all to God. Mm. I know the church has allowed it, but I don't believe it's acceptable. Mm. You know, um, no one, no one but the sacred, consecrated hands of a priest should touch that consecrated host. No one. And, you know, in the Old Testament, Aaron was the high priest. And if his sons, when they picked up, when they touched the holy things, they were immediately struck dead. God is very serious. We don't treat him at Mass like he's fast food, that we take him with our hand and put him in our mouth. 
I think that's a um, desolation. I think it's it's not right. I know the church allows it, so I'm not holier than the church. It, you do what you wish, but I I do not think it's acceptable. I think it's a desecration. I I would agree with you, and and I will tell you there was a time when I received in my hand. I didn't I didn't think twice about it. I received in my right. hand, and when I felt that conviction that it was time for me to start, you know, receiving on the tongue, and you know, I had you know the the reasons for that, and and it was it was a real act of humility i think for me in that point and now i don't think twice about it you know i i you know it just it seems it's the right thing it it absolutely feels like the right thing to do that's right and we should be on our knees before god as yes, well yes yes uh, in in our church here in beloit the, the priests have set up two predus two kneelers nice so that everyone who wishes to kneel can which which i think is truly wonderful yes. most more people kneel than not i believe yeah. Um, so yes. Uh huh. Beautiful, beautiful, and the old altar rails, you know, just just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. They are, but if churches don't have altar rails, either they have a step into the sanctuary or there's an invisible line, which no lay person should ever pass. Yeah. That is only for the priests. Yeah. All right, so we are, again, we are talking with Mother Miriam, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, talking about the, the Mass, the Passover fulfilled. True yeah. Passover lamb, right. Exactly, exactly. Mother, what more can you share with us? Oh, my goodness, the, the wisdom that you are sharing, I am, we're just absorbing it up. Well, I just wanted to mention, which I don't know how many people realized, because they may not have occasion to realize it, but this past Easter... Um, the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. It's different than our Gregorian calendar. They, they don't have 365 days a year. They have less. And so for them, it's 5,000-something um, since creation, actually. It's, it's counted differently. But their Passover this year fell on our Good Friday. The Friday before Easter was also the Jewish Passover, Wow! which is remarkable because it's the day that Jesus was put on the cross on the Jewish Passover. Mm. And they killed him at 3 o'clock prior to sundown in order that they could celebrate their Passover with dead lambs. They killed the true Lamb of God in Mm. order to celebrate their Passover. Mm. But he rose from the dead three days later, which is our Easter. I have chills even telling you this. It it was remarkable. Absolutely, this year followed perfectly. Truly, truly, you know, um, I, I think the, the the other thing I don't know how many uh, how much time we have left, but we have about thirteen I, minutes. Okay, good. Um, our heart here, daughters of Mary, mother of Israel's hope, our charism, our main heart in in uh, ministry or spreading the word is for the family because I believe that the family is God's design number one to build His kingdom, and therefore the enemy's target number one to destroy. And it is so urgent for Catholic parents to know their faith and teach their children the faith. That is God's design. When parents stand before God, it will not be the church or the schools that are accountable for their children's salvation or growth in faith. It will be the parents. The parents have been given the stewardship. The church and the schools will be accountable for what they've done and failed to do. 
but it is parents who have that responsibility and stewardship. And in today's incredibly corrupt world, if parents send their children to public school, I don't know any public schools where they're not going to be corrupted. And even in many Catholic schools, parents must know what their children are learning. And in many schools, including Catholic schools today, they're teaching sex ed, which no child should ever be taught in school. Gender ideology in kindergarten, what what you want to be a boy or a girl or a knit or what, it is a demonic, diabolic, and I would I would want to urge. You may think I'm extreme, but this is not extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, I would urge every parent to make sure if you send your children to a Catholic school or a public school, to make sure you know and are in agreement with every single textbook and what's being taught. And if if there's a class on sex ed, you you get permission to get your child out of that class. And if they will not give you that, take your child out of the school. Mm. It doesn't matter what you have to do. um, God is holding you accountable for your children. It is your stewardship to lead them to heaven and um, dress them modestly. Teach If the faith is not taught and lived at home, going to Sunday church is not enough. Sending them to Catholic school is not enough, however good the school is. If the faith is not lived at home, it will not be learned. Children need, actually, what I was so grateful to have growing up. I couldn't have identified it then, but I can now. It's not what religion we were. It's our identity of who we were and whose we were. We knew we were God's people. That's what it was. And Catholic children today, including parents, need to know that they are the people of God and everything we do or say in the world, our behavior, our dress, our speech, everything reflects about on the God we claim. And if we dishonor him by immodest clothing or behavior or anything else, we dishonor God and the people of God. But um, it's life-changing to live the faith at home as God would have it. And there are a billion helps for that. Homeschooling, homeschooling co-ops, all kinds of things. Um, it's it's utterly urgent. And your children, if you're Catholic, need to know what they believe, but they need to know why they believe what they believe. And most parents cannot answer those questions. Don't worry about that. It's never too late to start. Get the catechism and read through it with your family. Fathers, you need to be the head of the family. Mothers, you need to be the heart. And Archbishop Chaput said, that the greatest gift a father could give his children is to love their mother. Mm. And the greatest gift a mother can give her children is to love their father. If a mother doubts on her, dotes or doubts, dotes on her children, gifts of love and everything else, but she controls the father, she controls her husband, she disrespects him, she puts him down in front of the children, those children will never feel secure and they will never learn love. Children learn love by what they see. And when they see a father and mother hugging and kissing in the kitchen, they feel loved themselves and secure. Yes. Yes. Oh, so beautiful. 
Oh, my mm-hmm. goodness. We are so appreciative. I also want to, we have a question that came in from Mother Miriam. What advice would, would you give if you had relatives going to either SSPX or another schismatic church because of frustration of the lack of reverence in the current church? They are wanting the traditional Latin Mass, but how do we get people to stay in the church? Oh, that's really very hard and painful question. Um, the SSPX is, according to Cardinal Raymond Burke, who is perhaps the most knowledgeable canon lawyer in the Church and is uh, the former prefect of the Apostolic Signature, which is uh, the, the court, the Supreme Court, so to speak, of the Church, he has spoken that they are in schism. So I would not, you know, as someone said, you don't leave Jesus for Judas. I'm not saying they're Judas. I've met many from the SSPX, and they're wonderful people, but I cannot suggest that anyone go to the SSPX. Try the FSSP, the Fraternity of the Society of St. Peter, whom the Holy Father, even with his current restrictions of traditionis custodis on the Latin Mass, has affirmed them. So I know there's an FSSP Mass here in Kansas at Maple Hill. It's two and a half hours from us, so that's difficult, but in Maple Hill, there's an FSSP mass. I would try as much as you can to find an FSSP church, fraternity of the Society of St. Peter, or any other Latin mass that's allowed closest to your home. Um, and if not, maybe consider moving. I, 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 that's not so easy to say. That's time and money and jobs and all of that. But um, if you go to the SSPX, they're... Consecrations are valid. You will be receiving the Eucharist, um, but you will be in schism. And it's a very, very difficult question, very, very difficult. Um, if you don't find a reverent Novus Ordo, uh, check other Novus Ordo churches around you. Maybe you'll find a reverent one. There are reverent Novus Ordos, but I, 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 I don't know in Kansas where they are. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe, you know, I, I, I agree, and, and maybe it's a matter of going and, and talking to, you know, their pastor and, or finding a, a, a priest who, who leans towards the more traditional Mass and, and talk to him about a reverent Novus Ordo, because um, if there's yeah. not one, you know, there should be, right? Well, there should be, but again, um, many times people speak to the pastor and there's still no change for umpteen reasons. Yeah. Um, it, it, every situation is unique and different, every situation. So it's a very hard time in the church, very, very hard time. But know that even if you go to an uh, irreverent Novus Ordo, it's painful. But as long as you're reverent and you teach your children to be reverent, and you're still receiving our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the most important thing. I say if you can travel, at least on Sunday. When I was in Tulsa, we went to a Reverend Latin Mass FSSP on Sundays, and there were people who would come from Arkansas, two-and-a-half-hour drive, just to be there. So normally the Novus Ordo Masses are not too bad weekdays uh, when they don't have all the music and other things. But um, 
maybe you could you know, make it a day's outing and drive even a couple of hours to a Reverend Latin Mass on a Sunday and make it the family day together. Yes, beautiful, wonderful. So, um, Mother, if you would be willing to um, last thought, and then if you would lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving. Of course, of course. Well, my last thought is for all of us, every single one of us, to live the faith, I say this many times, as if it is true. Mm. As if it is true, which again, we need to be in the world and not of it. We need to have our daughters not wear skirts shorter than their knees, no tight jeans, no bare shoulders, no tight clothes. Men be respectful, don't walk around in shorts and thongs. We need to be modest. We need to not shop on Sundays or go to restaurants on Sundays. You say, oh, now you're being extreme. No, we're not. When we do that, we're making people uh, sin from the commandment to have take the Sabbath, take Sunday as a day of rest in honor of God. And you may say, well, they may not honor God if they're off anyway. It doesn't matter. Nothing should be open on Sunday. We should not make other people serve us on what is supposed to be our day off and day of rest. So it, it, it involves a lot to truly live your faith. So we're grateful to God, and He will never fail to reward anybody and everyone who makes every stride effort to live our faith with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Mm. Dear Lord, we give you thanks for every grace you've given us, for the faith, which is a gift, for a desire to live the faith, which is a gift, for every donor to Divine Mercy Radio. I bless them. I ask you to bless them, Lord, and for their hearts, for their generosity, they are encouragement to the rest of us. And uh, Lord, uh, encourage us to be your faithful reverend until the last day. And uh, I ask that you bless Divine Mercy Radio, mm. who is doing everything 24-7 they can to get the only truth out that the world needs. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary Mother, Mother of God, God, pray for us sinners. Pray for us sinners now, now at the hour of our death. death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to One Body Stewarding God's Creation. Folks, eternity is not seen. Neither are these airwaves. But if you can support these airwaves and help save souls for eternity, then please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate, where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 101.7 KJDM Lindsborg Salina, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KBDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. One body, stewarding God's creation.